Welcome to Pure Heart Church Podcast, Becoming Like Jesus. You're about to hear another inspirational message, and our prayer is that you are encouraged and one step closer to becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. I have emotions. You have emotions. We are emotional. And that's actually a really good thing because that means you're not dead inside and you're not a sociopath. So that's really good. Now, when one person with emotions interacts with another person with emotions, it can get complicated. It can get messy. So if your emotions have ever gotten the best of you, then today's message is for you. If you've ever been told you're too emotional or you can't stand the emotion of others because it's, it's just too dramatic, then today is for you. Basically, if you have feelings and you live with people who also have feelings, and sometimes that can be hard, then today's message is for you. Has anyone ever been angry with you or treated you unfairly or yelled at you or blamed you for something? What did you feel? What about when you're with someone who is so anxious and so insecure and you just, you just feel uncomfortable around them, like you're, you're anxious on their behalf, like their anxiety is spilling onto you and you can't help but not be anxious. So I'm, I'm emotional. I struggle with shame, anxiety, and anger, and I get easily defensive. And it's not something I'm proud of and me and Jesus are working on it. But if there's conflict at work or with my friends or with my wife or even with my kids, I tend to get defensive. Somebody at work comes up to you and says, well, why didn't you respond to that email? Your kid comes up to you and says, why are you shopping at Trader Joe's? I don't like those Cheetos. I want the real Cheetos. Well, I tend to get defensive. Anytime someone asks me, hey, why did you? I tend to get defensive. So what do we do with this? How do we handle our emotions and how do we interact with people who also have emotions? Well, throughout this series, we've been in Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to the church in Rome to brothers and sisters in Christ whom he's never met. And in this chapter, he's given them instructions on how to live with one another. Last week, Pastor Dan, he shared about the importance of listening and valuing one another in relationship. And today we're gonna take it one step further. How do I value someone when they are emotional and their emotions are triggering my emotions? First, let's talk about anger. If someone is expressing anger towards you, well, why did you, what do you do? Paul writes this, Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So, so I'm just supposed to just take it? I'm supposed to just let this oppressor just, just do whatever they want to me? No. In other words, when someone is angry with you, don't get triggered. Don't go for payback. Don't seek revenge. Don't get triggered. Because the easiest thing for me to do with someone who is angry is to get angry. Well, you blame me, well, I'm gonna blame you. You do this to me, well, I'm gonna do this to you. Why didn't you go to the grocery store? Well, I do everything around here. Why did you speak to me that way? You don't speak to me that way. Why'd you spend that money on Amazon? Well, you're the one who keeps buying new clothes. You cut me off in traffic. Well, now I'm gonna tailgate you. See how you like that. Payback, justice, right? Do you feel better? 
And some of you might be like, yeah, when I tailgate that guy, I totally feel better. Well, that's because anger is a powerful emotion. And we were moved to anger because we feel like we've lost something. We've lost power. We've lost control. And it feels good to be angry because we're getting that power back. But does it feel good to yell at your kids or your spouse or your friends or be passive aggressive, sarcastic or bitter? Did that improve the relationship? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. See, many biblical scholars think that this verse isn't talking about persecution from outside the church, but from within. You see, the whole context of Romans 12 is about how to treat each other, especially those you love. So they're talking about the persecution that we're experiencing within the body. So when your coworker, your spouse, or your kid is angry with you, well, why did you, and you feel persecuted, how can we respond with blessing and not cursing? How do we not get triggered? Well, we pause and we breathe. And we respond, we don't react. Pause and breathe, respond, don't react. Viktor Frankl, a Jewish psychiatrist and survivor of the Holocaust, he wrote this. You see, between the stimulus and the response, there is space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. You, so, so what happens that triggers our emotion, there's space between that. And when we pause and breathe, now we can move from a space of just reacting to a space of intentionally responding. So let me show you what this looks like. This framework was developed by a friend of mine, Brent Peak, a licensed therapist who specializes in the healing of broken marriages and relationships. So first you have the data. This is what happened. Then based upon the data, then my thoughts. This is the story that I made up about what happened, the story that I'm making up about you, and really the story that I'm making up about myself. And then that leads to my feelings, how I feel based upon the story that I made up, which leads to my behavior, what I do in response to my thoughts and emotions. So let me give you an example of this. My spouse, my boss, my friend, my kid yells at me. My thoughts about this, well, I'm in trouble. I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe I did. Well, they did wrong too. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. And those are all the thoughts that I have, which then lead to my feelings. About those thoughts, I feel shame, I feel anger, and I feel fear. And then based upon those feelings, that leads to my behavior. Because I feel shame, anger, and fear, well, now I'm going to be defensive, now I'm going to blame others, and now I'm also going to go into hiding. I'm going to be secretive. So how do we change our behavior? Well, we first change our behavior by changing our emotions. Well, how do we change our emotions? We change our emotions by changing our thoughts. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought we take captive. So if we want to change our actions, we need to change our feelings. And if we want to change our feelings, we first need to change our thoughts and take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. So our th- we take our thoughts, we take them captain and captive, and then replace them with what is true. So here's what this looks like. So the data, same exact thing. My spouse, my boss, my friend, my kid, they yell at me. And now I'm going to take my thoughts captive. Instead of thinking I'm not enough and I'm never going to be enough and I'm in trouble, pause and breathe. I'm going to take those thoughts captive. Well, what is true? 
I am enough. I always do my best. And if I make a mistake, I'm going to make it right. I determine how I want to be treated. I am enough. And then based upon those thoughts, now I have different feelings. Instead of feelings of shame and anger and fear, now I feel empowered. I feel passionate. I feel love towards myself and love towards others. And that changes my behavior. Now, instead of getting bitter or, or reacting back, now I'm going to engage in conversation and set healthy boundaries. Okay, so this sounds really good and all, but it's really hard to do this in the moment where everything is charged and emotions are flying everywhere. Well, you can only do this when you're in the green zone. And this comes from psychiatrist Dan Siegel and psychotherapist Tina Bryson. And they wrote a ton of books on, on parenting. And here's what they're saying. So when you're in the green zone, this is where you're, uh, you're in control of your thoughts and you're also in control of your emotions. You still have emotions, but you have them within a healthy level. You're, you might be feeling anger or sadness or anxiety, but it's not like a wave of emotion where your emotions are now controlling you. So the blue zone is where we're not feeling emotion at all. We're stuffing our emotions, we're numb to them, we're disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from others. It's like we're physically present, but we're mentally and emotionally not. But what I wanna talk about is the red zone, where we, are, where we tend to get triggered and we tend to go up and, and our emotions are exploding out and they're exploding onto other people or they're imploding onto ourselves and we're beating ourselves up like, I can't believe I did that, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I'm the worst, uh, and, and which leads to overwhelm. So we want to stay in the green zone where we're able to feel emotion, but emotions don't take control over us. In our family ministry, we've been teaching a parenting class on discipline. And because discipline isn't about punishment, it's about teaching. And you can only teach a child when both you and the child are in the green zone. Have you ever seen a child in, in the red zone so they might be acting out, having a tantrum, crying, or just, just yelling at you, Daddy, I hate you. Yeah, me too. Well, I got triggered. My kid was in the red zone shouting, I hate you. And so I feel the temptation, the desire to also go to the red zone. And I'm about to yell back at my kid, stop yelling. Have you ever yelled at your child, stop yelling? Well, right before I do that, that's when I realize, wait, my kid's in the red zone. I'm in the red zone. And I need to get back to green so I can help my kid get back to green. Pause and breathe. Because I want to bless my child. Bless and not curse. So how do we respond when others show anger toward us? We pause and breathe so we can respond, not react. So what about other strong emotions besides anger? Well, here's what Paul says next. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Now, this might sound easy, especially in comparison to anger, but for many of us, this is incredibly difficult because many of us struggle when others show really big emotions and, and not just anger. We struggle when other people show big emotions of sadness or grief or anxiety or even joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Has anyone ever come up to you and been so excited about something you did not think was very exciting and you made this face? 
Mm, yeah. Parents, has your kid ever started to tell you about how excited they were about the new Minecraft update? I mean, Caves and Cliffs 2, the new biomes, the updated ore veins, a build height of 320, and Bedrock is now at negative 64? Mmm, yeah, it's so cool, buddy. Or a coworker gets a promotion that you wanted. A friend's kid made the team, but yours didn't. You see on Instagram that she lost 20 pounds. Another friend is getting engaged. They are buying another new car. How do we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? Be connected to others and be separate from others. So we're going to be connected to other people and be separate from them. We're not going to be enmeshed with them because their, their emotions don't have to become our emotions. Their anxiety does not have to become your anxiety. So we connect with other people in their joy and even in their sadness. And we also remain separate from them with healthy boundaries and not letting their stuff become our stuff. I mean, think about the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three of them are God. Perfect unity and harmony, and they're connected in perfect relationship, and they're separate and distinct. So let's look at an example of how Jesus was both connected and separate from others in their emotions. So Jesus has a friend, and his friend is living a few towns over, and someone comes up to him, and they say, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dying. You should go see him like right now. And what they're really saying is, Jesus, you should go see him right now so you can, um, you can make it so that doesn't happen. You can do something miraculous because I've seen you do things before. You can fix this situation for your friend that you love. And Jesus says, yes, I will totally go, but I'm going to take my time. I'm going to wait. And he even tells his disciples, I'm going to wait. And he even tells his disciples, like, this is not going to end in death. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows the miracle that he's about to perform. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he knows all this. So he finally goes and Lazarus has died. And when he gets there in John 11, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you were here, my marriage wouldn't have ended. Jesus, if you were here, I wouldn't be in financial crisis. Jesus, if you were here, my child would still be alive. Jesus, if you were here, I wouldn't be struggling with anxiety and grief or rage. Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this to me is the shortest verse in the Bible and one of the most profound. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus did not get defensive at her accusations. He didn't get angry. He didn't take on their anxiety and he didn't run from the negative emotion either. Jesus wept. I mean, why did he weep? I mean, this, 
He already knew what was going to happen. Why would, why would he let himself be sad? He already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He even told the disciples that this was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was going to do. The miracle was minutes away. It would have been so easy for Jesus to see this wave of emotion, this wave of grief coming at him and then quickly sidestep it, let him pass it by. And then he wrecks the funeral and throws a party instead. Hey, Lazarus, come on out. You thought he was dead. Oh my goodness, he's alive. He could have avoided all of that grief, all of that pain, all of that sadness. Instead, Jesus lets himself get hit by this wave of emotion and allows himself to feel. Jesus wept. So fast forward to Romans. Paul finishes the section with this. Romans 12 verse 16, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't go one up. You see, don't be proud. Pride keeps us from rejoicing with those who rejoice. Pride keeps us from grieving with others. Pride repays others in anger because we see them as a threat. You see, the reason we don't give space for people's big emotions is because of pride, because I don't want to be a, a part of this, and, and this only comes from a one-up space. And I've seen this especially in how spouses treat each other and how they treat their children, and I've seen it in myself. It's in the, it's in the statements like, I don't, I don't like you when you're angry or crying or anxious or, or overexcited. You, you are too much. Why don't you just handle that on your own and then you let me know when you put yourself back together and then I can connect with you and then I will show you love and affection. I was teaching the parent class last week and part of this class is understanding how our own parents affected us and how that impacts our parenting today. And one father raised his hands and he talked about this sticker chart that his mom had for him. He would get good stickers for good behavior and bad stickers for bad behavior. And we, we talked about this, that in sticker charts, they're not bad. As long as we communicate to our kids that our love as parents is never dependent upon what the chart says. You see, I will never remove my love and affection for my kids because of their bad behavior. And I won't give them more love because of good behavior. Because that's what unconditional love looks like. And that's what God does for me. Regardless of what my sticker chart says, God loves me and he shows love for me. So here's what this feels like. I want you to close your eyes if you can and pay attention to what your body does and how you feel when I say these words. All right, go ahead and close your eyes. No. No, 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 no. All right, take a breath. Go ahead and close your eyes again and pay attention to what your body does and how your body feels when I say this word. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes.
All right, go ahead and open your eyes and take a breath. How'd that feel? When I asked uh, a few other people that I did this exercise with, they described, I wanted to run out of the room. My chest was imploding. I, I felt like I was suffocating when I was saying the word no. And one person even said, it took me halfway through the yeses to finally begin to release the tension. We do not have a God of no. We have a God of yes. He says yes to you. Even on your worst day, God's love of you is yes. Through your biggest emotions of anger, anxiety, sadness, joy, through all of it, through all of your big feelings, even when your emotions get the best of you, God's love of you is yes. And so even when your sticker chart doesn't say what you hoped it would say, God's love of you is yes. God's love of you is yes. And so it begins, all of this begins with accepting and receiving the love of God. And maybe this is something that you accepted and received a long time ago, but you, even as I describe this, your relationship with God is based upon sticker charts and performance and behavior, and God is disappointed with you more often than he, than he loves you. And I, I wanna tell you right now, that's not God. And so let that go and receive who he really is. This God who loves you unconditionally, regardless of what your behavior chart says or what your sticker chart says or how you feel like you did that day, he loves you. Or maybe this is a first time decision for you. You've never made this decision and today is the day. You know what? I want a love like that in my life. I'm tired of controlling everything on my own because when you can try to control everything on your own, some days you get ahead and some days you get behind and every single day you just feel like you're not enough. Let go of that. You're still gonna work hard and you're going to trust God with the outcome because of his unconditional love because God is a God who loves to bless, who loves to give you the life that you were meant to live. So if you want to make that decision today, you're going to put your, your faith in him, put your trust in him, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Stop trying to do it on your own and stop trying to live for a God based on sticker charts. Would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I give you everything. I, I put my life in your hands. I trust you because you are trustworthy, because you are loved, because your love of me is not dependent upon my behavior or my performance or my emotional state that day. You just love me unconditionally. And so God, I receive that love today. And now out of that love, my life will begin to, get, begin to look different. I'm going to take captive my thoughts and submit them to you. And you're going to tell me what's true about myself. You're going to keep telling me I'm enough. You're going to keep telling me that I'm your son, I'm your daughter. You're going to keep telling me those things. And because of that, I'm going to feel differently in life and I'm going to act differently in life, especially towards others. God, I love you and I trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we receive the love of God, we now agree with God about who he says we are. We're able to take our thoughts captive and we're more able to extend grace to others.